When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter said, Yes. When, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text. And Lord, we recognize that uh, this text is indeed very, very challenging. So, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would be pleased, O oh Lord, to bless us, to bless our hearts this morning, that we would not only come to a place where we begin to understand this text, but that, Lord, our hearts would be molded and shaped after it. For, O oh Lord, we recognize that there's sometimes a great gulf between what we understand and, and what we are. So, O oh Lord, we do pray that you would change us this morning, change us by way of your word, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Text this morning begins when Jesus and his disciples uh, come back to Capernaum. And uh, Jesus, is, as many of you know, was raised in Nazareth. But uh, during his earthly ministry, uh, he kind of set up a headquarters, if you will, in uh, Capernaum. And they have returned to Capernaum. And it is there where collectors of the two drachma tax uh, come up to Peter. You know, that, that's a strange phrase, the two drachma tax. What in the world is the two drachma tax? Some of your translations may say the uh, half shekel tax, and uh, that's not exactly more helpful, is it? Um, some uh, texts might even say the census tax. Uh, still not a whole lot of help to us. Um, the tax is, basically has its, um, its origins in Exodus chapter 30, uh, verses 11 to 16, where uh, God commands Moses to levy a tax against the uh, male Israelites who are 20 years and older uh, each time the census is taken. And the purpose of the tax is to generate revenues for the maintenance of then the uh, tabernacle, but later uh, the temple. Now, uh, as time goes on, uh, this tax had gone from being taken every time the census is taken to being taken up annually. Uh, it wasn't um, uh, uh, that big of a deal. It wasn't a real expensive uh, tax. It didn't set anybody behind uh, very much financially, but it was, there was some, uh, uh, some disagreement about it. Uh, the Sadducees, for instance, uh, really felt that the tax was a an invention of the Pharisees, and there was some friction between them over this tax. And the, we know that the Qumran community uh, refused to pay it annually. They only paid the tax uh, uh, one time in their life. Uh, so perhaps at the age of 20, we reach 20, we pay the tax, and, and that would be it. We would only be required to pay it once. Uh, nevertheless, these collectors, they come to Peter, and their question is, does your teacher... Uh, not pay the tax. Peter answers yes. 
Uh, it's a pretty vague answer, isn't it? What, what's Peter saying yes to? Is he saying yes to uh, the fact that Jesus does pay the tax? Or is he saying yes to the fact that Jesus doesn't pay the tax? Uh, scholars debate over that thing, and uh, we're not going to do that because it really doesn't, for the purpose of the text, for the teaching of the text, that's, that's really, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, as we're going to see, that's not where our text hinges as to whether Jesus pays it or doesn't pay it, um, or has paid it in the past or hasn't paid it. Now, uh, Peter answers the inquiry uh, of these tax collectors, and then he goes into the house where Jesus is, and we see in verse 25, Jesus immediately picks this matter up with, with Peter. Jesus speaks to him, and he says, What do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? In other words, um, what Jesus is asking Peter is, is Peter, um, when kings levy taxes, uh, do, they, do they levy taxes against their children and their families, or do they levy taxes against uh, others in their kingdom? Uh, pretty simple question, right? Uh, Peter says, well, it's from others. And then Jesus says in verse 26, uh, then the sons are free. Where's Peter, or where's Jesus going with this? Uh, he's saying that the sons are exempt from the taxes, isn't he? Now, what's Jesus up to? Well, there's three things that are important when we ask these kinds of questions of the tax, and you know all three of those things. They're context and context and context, right? At least I didn't ask you to write them down this time. Normally I say, get your pencil out and write these things down. I don't know how many more times you're going to fall for that one anyway. <laughs> Three things are important here. Context, context, and context. What's the context? Well, if we just go back and think back to chapter 16. You know, we were there just a, a couple of weeks ago. At least some of us were. And uh, Jesus asks this question of his disciples. He says, uh, okay, fellas, who do people say that I am? You remember that text? Well, I said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Okay. Well, fellas, who do you say that I am? And then Peter makes his great confession, doesn't he? He says, you are, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say after that? He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This information has been supernaturally revealed uh, to Peter, and Peter is speaking uh, for himself, and he's speaking on behalf of the other disciples. They're all in agreement. And what's been going on is the Father has been working in the hearts of the disciples namely to reveal the true identity of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the light bulbs are starting to go off, aren't they? They're starting to see that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Jesus is building on this information as He speaks with Peter in the house. He says, you know, concerning this tax, tell me, who do kings levy tax against? Their children or others? Peter says, from others. 
Ah, then the logical conclusion of that is the sons are free, right? What's Jesus saying? Jesus is the Son of God. He is saying that he is exempt from this tax by reason of the fact that he's the Son of God. But look what comes next. Verse 27. Look with me to verse 27. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What's going on here? Well, there's a couple of things that are going on here. One is Jesus is showing that he's exempt from this tax. Secondly, Jesus is setting that exemption aside, isn't he? He's setting those rights aside. Thirdly, he's paying the tax. But I think it's quite interesting. He doesn't just pay the tax. He provides the proceeds to pay the tax. Agreed? Okay. Let's ask the question that's always so vitally important. Uh, every Sunday morning when we come to this place in the sermon, what is the Holy Spirit teaching us through this? How does this... How, how does this relate to us? Well, I have a couple of observations that I think will tease that out for us. It will begin to let us see. A couple of observations. Um, Jesus chooses to humble himself uh, rather than offend. Look again to verse 27. He says, not to give offense to them. Not to give offense to them. Those six words are very vital. That's, the, that's the, really the crux of this text. Not to give offense to them. You know, it's interesting, knowing what we know now about the text, we can see that this inquiry on behalf of the tax collectors is indeed quite offensive to Jesus. Jesus is exempt. There is a presupposition on the minds of the tax collectors as they inquire about whether Jesus pays the tax or doesn't pay the tax. There's, they're presupposing that Jesus is just another teacher like them. Or just another ordinary person like them. The whole inquiry is offensive to his glory. But Jesus don't make a, a fuss over that, does he? He humbles himself. So that what? So that he doesn't offend them. He humbles himself so he doesn't offend the offenders. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Now, we need to qualify this because this is the place where some will say, well, see that? I mean, okay, the clear teaching is this. We should never offend anyone under any circumstances. So from now on, let's go out and let's be careful that we never offend anybody. And especially over doctrine. Don't, don't be bringing up doctrine because doctrine's offensive and that, that offends people. Is that what Jesus is teaching us here? If we take this passage in isolation and we remove it from the three things that are very important, remember those three things? Context, context, what's the third one? Context. If we move it from there, we could, make it to we, we, we could say that it teaches us that. But we must never do that. If we just think back a few chapters, it's been a while since we were back in chapter 11. 
But as I start talking about it, I think it'll jar our memories. That's the chapter where uh, John is, uh, John the Baptist is still alive. He's rotting away in Herod's prison. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask them this question. Uh, are you the one who is to come or shall we expect another? And how's Jesus answer the disciples? He says, well, you know, go back and tell John everything that you're seeing here. You know, the blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed. And you remember when we were studying that passage, we saw very clearly what Jesus was doing was showing that his ministry is in fulfillment with the prophecy of Isaiah, which John knew like the back of his hand. And that would answer John's uh, uh, inquiry and it would strengthen John's faith. But the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples before he dismisses them is he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, why would anyone be offended by Jesus? It's because of the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is an offensive message. What does the gospel teach? It teaches us that we're proud sinners, doesn't it? We like to believe that we're basically okay. We just need a little help over a couple of things and we're going to be all right. That's what we want to believe and that's what we hear all the time. But that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches us that we're, that we're messed up all the way through, clear to the center and clear to the core. And that is offensive, isn't it? The gospel teaches us that our condition is so bad that God had to send His very own Son in the person of Jesus Christ to go to the cross to die for our sins. I mean, when we look to the cross, uh, that answers the question of how bad we are. How bad is the situation? Well, it's really bad. I'll tell you, it's so bad that this is what we're going to have to do to fix it. It's that bad? Yes, it's that bad. Now, to the ears of proud sinners, that's offensive. Jesus continues, you know, if we, if we turn to, the, to chapter 13, you remember chapter 13 is the chapter that has all those parables in it, the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the, uh, the pearl of great price. And, and then at the very end of chapter 13, there's that story where Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes in and he preaches in the synagogues and they're just, they're just marvel at the wisdom that Jesus has and it works and they're just beside themselves and they're saying where in the world did Jesus get all of this wisdom where did this come from and then they start to think wait a second he's a hometown boy isn't his mother isn't his mother's name Mary I, yeah and in fact there's his brothers they're back there in the back pew they're the ones you know in the back there, and I think his sisters are around here somewhere. And they begin to take offense at him. Why do they take offense at him? Well, he's making some big claims. He's just a hometown boy making these big claims. Maybe they're taking offense at him because he's, you know, he's, he's probably upstage, undoubtedly upstaging them quite a bit. I don't know. They take offense at him. Did Jesus know they would take offense at him when he went in and preached? Beyond doubt, he knew that. But it even becomes clear when we turn a couple more chapters to chapter 15, which we weren't there that long ago. And you remember where Jesus uh, uh, rebukes the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. 
What were they doing? They were exalting their traditions above the Word of God. And Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them very sharply. In fact, He comes out and He says, Listen, uh, you're honoring God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. And after that message is over, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, you know, you, you really offended those guys back there. As if Jesus didn't know that. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? Because I want you to see that Jesus is willing to offend. But he doesn't, he's not willing to offend here in our text. What's the difference? Why is he willing to offend in all these other contexts, but he's not willing to offend here? What's the difference? That's what we got to get our minds around. The difference is God's truth is at stake in all these other contexts. The gospel is offensive. We all know this. If, you ever been, if you're in the habit of sharing your faith, you know this quite well. Because here you are, you're in, a, you're in a place where you can share your faith. The Lord opens up the door and then you hesitate. Why do you hesitate? Because you know what you're about to share might not go over too well. Why? Because we know that it's offensive. We know that it's offensive. Is it loving to withhold? I'll tell you what's usually happening to Rick when he's in that position, because he's in that position every once in a while. And I'm talking to somebody, and very clearly the Lord opens up the door. Uh, not for me to dump the whole mother load on somebody, but the, Lord, the, the door opens for me to begin to share a word or two or a few things, and I begin to hesitate. Do you know what's really going on in my heart? Maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes I think to myself, boy, if I, if I go there, I might be rejected. These guys might not like me no more. Or they might think ill of me after this. Um, they might not swallow this. Who am I thinking about as, that, as that's happening? Who, who, who am I really in love with as that happens? Ricky boy here is in love with Ricky boy. I'm not putting the best interest of the person I'm talking to in mind. See, Jesus never does that. He always has the best person, best interest of the person he's talking to in mind. It's a loving thing in that hour to share the truth. I mean, we, we don't want to dump the whole thing on everybody, but to begin to share the truth. And then Jesus is willing to, if, if so be it, if it happens that an offense is taken, then so be it. He's willing to do that. But in this text that we come to this morning, he's unwilling to offend them. Why? Because there's no moral issue at hand here. The only offense that's taking place here is an offense to Jesus' personal glory. Now, that's a bad offense. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus realizes they don't know any better. And I'm not saying that they're off the hook because of that. They're guilty. But Jesus doesn't make an issue of that. He sets his, uh, he sets his rights aside, if you will. He humbles himself. He, in this context, he's unwilling to offend them. And we should say a word about, about that word offend. Uh, in the original language, uh, that word means to cause to stumble. Uh, we translated offend. You could translate the word cause to stumble. You could, you could take offense out of the text and put cause to stumble in, and it would be very accurate uh, to the Greek that's underlying that text. 
Jesus does not want to cause these tax collectors to stumble. That's what he is concerned about. He doesn't want to cause them to stumble, which leads to the, the next observation that I want to share. Jesus, you know, he sets his glory and his rights aside to lovingly protect and serve the undeserving. These tax collectors are completely undeserving of this kind of treatment by Jesus, but he sets his glory aside so that he can lovingly serve and protect them. You know, Jesus could cause them to stumble anytime he wants to. He could run these guys off anytime he wants to. And for that matter, we can do the same too, can't we? We can run somebody off anytime we want to. It is so easily done. And unfortunately, it's done all the time in the church. Yesterday, I heard a testimony of a woman who was run out of a church because some harsh words were said to her. Some unfair things. In her case, I don't think she's been run off for good. I still think she's reachable. But you know something? We have the power. We have the ability to run somebody off anytime we want. And we can render their souls practically unreachable after that if we want to. And unfortunately, this happens all the time. That's what Jesus doesn't want to happen. He could run them off any time, but he sets his glory and he sets his rights aside in order to protect them. This is a badly needed message today because everybody is proclaiming their rights. This is my right. This is my right. This is my right. And we should expect that of the world, but we should never expect this of the church. And as we think of the religious political scene that prevails today, it's woefully, woefully against this text and other texts in the Bible like it. The famous reformer Heinrich Bullinger, he said this, he said, when it comes to temporary matters, we should never give offense. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that is, when it comes to your pocketbooks, don't offend nobody. When it comes to our pocketbooks, don't offend anyone. Jesus chooses to humble himself rather than offend. He sets his glory and rights aside to lovingly protect and serve. He's very concerned about these tax collectors who are a business. They're, they're offending him. And Jesus also chooses to suffer rather than hinder the gospel. That's the third observation. Jesus doesn't want to hinder the gospel. He's willing to suffer rather than hinder the gospel. You see, if he offends these guys, they're probably not going to receive him at any time in the, in the future. And this is, this is what has a tendency to happen. If these guys get offended, they're going to go and they're going to tell other people what happened, aren't they? So not only could they easily be brought into a place where they're practically unreachable, they could lead others in kind. Jesus would rather suffer than see that happen. A fourth observation. Jesus' love for sinners requires him to suffer for them. Don't forget this one. Jesus' love for sinners requires him to suffer for them. 
I mean, this ties our text to what has come before it. If you just look back to the last text we studied, you know, to verses 22 and, and 23, in verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that is Jesus, Jesus is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. What's that all about? Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's not that far away. He's preparing his disciples for it. Matthew is preparing the reader for it. We're being prepared for it. Why is Jesus going to the cross? It's because his love for sinners requires him to. His love for sinners like me and like you requires him to suffer in our place. That's why he's going to the cross. That's the very heart and crux of the gospel message, isn't it? That's the part that should be changing our lives and changing our hearts. The love business is often rejected because it is well known that the love business is costly, isn't it? It, it's costly to love people. If you're going to go around and you're going to love people, that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Look what it cost Jesus. Look what it has cost the Father. In conclusion, what are we to make of all of this? You know, I, I, if you're listening to this and you're you're applying this to your heart, then you're probably like me right now. And I, I think this is probably one of the most challenging messages that I've preached since we started this ministry five years ago. I, as I read these things, I see in my, in my own heart how woefully inadequate um, my own heart in ministry is. I, I always want to demand my rights. I don't want to suffer. We should ask ourselves these questions. Are we in the habit of offending others with our pride or do we humble ourselves so that we don't offend others when there's no moral issue at hand? Are we willing to offend others over our pocketbooks? There's all kinds of questions we could ask. I mean, do we love, or love others enough to humble ourselves rather than offend them? Do we love others enough to suffer for them? Are we committed enough to Christ to suffer for the gospel? That's what our scripture memory verse is about. You know, if you look at your bulletin, you look back to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing these words, and the Apostle Paul is speaking on behalf of himself and those who are with him, that we endure anything rather than put, notice the word obstacle, an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. A cognitive, the same word is being used in 1 Corinthians 9, 12 that's being used in uh, Matthew 17 and verse 27, namely that word offense. It's the same word. This idea of putting a stumbling block out before people. We got the ability to do a lot of damage to souls. You know that? And it's done all the time. It's done all the time. This should cause us to tremble 
Here was Paul's position. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. When we really come to believe what's at stake here, it should cause us to tremble because we can do so much damage. Okay, here we are. You know, what do we do about it? One of the things I prayed for in preparation for this message is that when you leave here this morning, the last thing that you would leave here thinking is, well, man, I need to get out there and try harder. Well, that might be true. Maybe we do need to get out there and try harder. But if we're going to go through those doors and we're going to try to do this by ourselves, you want to know we, we might as well stop before we even go through those doors because we're going to fail at it. It's impossible to do by ourselves. The only way that we could begin to reflect what's being taught in this text is if God, the Holy Spirit, gets a hold of our hearts and begins to shape and mold our hearts into this kind of mold. But you see, this is the very thing we pray for every Sunday, isn't it? Oh, Lord, make us like Christ. Make us like Christ. Make us like Christ. Maybe we ought to take a look at this and see what we're praying for. Sometimes you don't just watch what you're praying for. I don't know that we really understand what we're praying for. Do we really want to be like this? This is costly, isn't it? I hope we want to be like this, but I think we ought to, before we even start at this, I think we ought to go to the Lord and I think we ought to sort that out. We ought to count the costs before we go any further. We ought to spend time with God and say, God, I, I, I don't, maybe we don't want to be like this. Maybe you don't want to be like this. I can guarantee there's a part of you that doesn't want to be like this. What do we do about that? We confess it, don't we? Lord, there's so much of me that doesn't want any part of this. I need you to change me. I can't do it myself. If we're ever going to be like this, the only way that we're going to be like this is to constantly abide in Christ and depend on Him for the grace to be like this. This isn't something we can do one time, go through this door, and expect to be like this all the time. This is something we'll have to do daily. It's something we'll have to do constantly. And you know something? We're going to fail at it too, aren't we? It's not like from this day forward we're going to be doing this perfectly from now and forevermore. That's not going to happen. And that's where grace comes in, isn't it? You know something? Jesus knows we're going to fail at this. That's not going to be a surprise to him. That's, in those moments, it's good to go back to verse 22 and 23, though. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Why? Because he knows we're going to fail at this. So he's going to cover that for us. He's going to go down to Jerusalem. He's going to be nailed to a tree to cover that for us. And we've got to remember that. He says that's the engine that changes our hearts. That's the grace that changes us. Don't leave here thinking this is all up to you. If you do, then, 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 then we're failing from the start. It's all up to Jesus.
It's up to us to cooperate with the grace that He's going to give us, but let's seek that grace before we even start. And then let's pray that we will cooperate with that grace as it flows into our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a challenging, challenging text we come to this morning. And, O Lord, we call on You first, O Lord, that You would change our hearts, that we would want to look like this, Change our hearts, Lord, so that we would want to be like this. Change our hearts, O Lord, so that we would follow you wherever you would lead us. And that we would love others so much, Lord, that we would be willing to suffer for them. That we'd love the gospel so much that we're willing to suffer for the gospel. That we would believe so much that we see the, the consequences and the implications that are at stake. Oh, Lord, give us that grace of dependency upon you, O Lord, and the grace to abide in you, that to see, O Lord, that we would be shaped and molded in this, into this mold, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen.